This is Road to Retirement with Chris Anselmo from Brookside Tax and Financial Group. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. With many years of experience in the financial industry, Chris provides his clients and prospects with the information they need regarding Social Security, retirement income planning, wealth management, and much more. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals. And now, here is Road to Retirement with Chris Anselmo from Brookside Tax and Financial Group. Hey, welcome everybody. Welcome back to the Road to Retirement. My name's Chris Anselmo here at Brookside Tax and Financial Group and also our law firm Anselmo and Company. We uh, are located here in Parma, Ohio, and hopefully you've seen one of our broadcasts before. All my co-hosts aren't here today, so I'm going to try to attempt to do this on our own. Um, over the last few months, we've seen a lot of uh, people come in that had some, I don't want to say estate planning mistakes or blunders, but we thought we would probably do a, um, a show on the top estate planning mistakes uh, we've seen over the years. Uh, you know, this list isn't all-inclusive. I just said like the top 10, but uh, we do see these uh, commonly, so we thought we would um, talk about them today. And also at the end of the presentation, we are going to offer you a, a free uh, review of your documents. If you want to come in and just have us look at them, make sure there's nothing uh, too out of the ordinary there, um, you can come in and uh, schedule an appointment and, and do that. Um, so I'm going to try and share my screen here. Um, hopefully we can, um, we will be able to see that. Um, okay, so so maybe you can see that to see um, our version of the uh, our top ten list. So uh, let's go over these a bit. So oftentimes when uh, people come in, they've uh, talked to uh, other people or they've heard uh, Susie Orman and everyone uh, worried about probate, 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 probate. And they get all caught up in probate, and sometimes they make some mistakes uh, uh, worrying about too much about probate. So let me let me tell you that one one instance where people worry too much about probate. So oftentimes we um, we have clients come in and they want to list all their kids on their deeds, or put you know they have three or four kids on their deeds, and that can cause some problems. So the issue here, at least in Ohio, is we still have dower rights in Ohio, which means that if if you're married and you own a piece of property, you have to uh, have your spouse sign off on it if you want to if you want to sell the property. So oftentimes people have heard about transfer on death deeds or transfer on death affidavits, which would say, look, I own the property for as long as I live. And upon my death, I'm going to leave it to my four children. I only have two. So in case you're out there and wondering, I only have two. But say you leave it to your four children. Sounds good. It avoids probate and everyone's worried about, uh, you know, we want to avoid probate at all costs. But here, here's the problem with that. If we leave it to four children and they're all married, if they want to sell the property, we got to get eight people to agree to sell that property. You can look, I can't get eight people to to pick out a restaurant to go for uh, you know Mother's Day, right? Let alone um, eight people agreeing to a price and the terms. So um, that could be pretty sticky because one person can say, "Look, we're going to sell the house is worth three hundred thousand dollars," 
Um, and one might say, you know, I think it's worth uh, $320. I'm not selling. So, so that, can, that can be a, a problem. So in that instance, it would be better, believe it or not, if that property uh, uh, went into probate and then that one executor would make the decision to sell the property and then divide the net proceeds up four ways. Another uh, common mistake is choosing the wrong person to handle the estate. Now, oftentimes we uh, say people, they pick their eldest child, right? Because for whatever reason, it seems right to pick the eldest child and the second person is the second eldest child. Um, but you really got to concern yourself with whether that person has the acumen, the wherewithal to handle such a, uh, a burden. Um, uh, settling a state is, um, is time consuming and uh, it's, it's not easy. So, you know, just picture yourself, this person, it's like someone's moving, right? Right, they're moving on, you gotta clean out their house, you gotta close out their bank accounts, handle all the distributions of their IRAs and, and tax returns and paying creditors. So um, oftentimes if you get uh, a child that maybe is not um, finan financially astute or is not, um, responsible, uh, that might not be the best pick for uh, uh, being the executor. So so maybe uh, really consider going, figure out which one of your children might be best to do this, or maybe it's a brother or sister, or maybe it's a professional. Uh, you know, maybe it's a CPA, maybe it's an attorney that could uh, handle that estate for you. Um, the next one is uh, very important, not coordinating beneficiary designations. So let me, let me give you an example. Let's say the your will says, look, I got four children, a wife and four children. I'm going to leave everything to my wife. If she's not alive, I'm going to leave it to the four children. Very common. Right? So what happens there is uh, the will, if you don't know this, the will only governs assets that are stuck in the decedent's name when he passes away. So if there's any account that has a joint owner on it or has beneficiary designations on it, uh, those avoid the whole probate process and your will, despite what it says, doesn't govern those assets. So if your will says leave it to the four children, but your beneficiary designation on your IRA said uh, leave it to Johnny, one of your children, Johnny's getting the whole IRA. And Johnny has no obligation, legal or otherwise, maybe morally, but legally to share that IRA with the other four, the other three children, right? So we have to make sure that we're, we we look at beneficiary designations that they are not in conflict of what your legal documents say. Uh, we've seen this time and time again, and it often it's as simple as um, uh, you know, mom's living here in the Cleveland area, elderly, and she puts her daughter's name on the bank account. Yet there's three other siblings, but you know the daughters here locally. It seems to make sense to put the daughter's name on the bank account uh, for ease of uh, you know writing checks and making deposits and dealing with paying the bills and things like that. And that's true. That was easy to do. But at the end of the day, when mom passes away, that account now belongs to that one daughter, not all four of the children. Now the daughter may, if she's uh, uh, wants to, share it with the other siblings, but. Oftentimes they say, no, look, I took care of mom all these years. My siblings weren't involved in it. They were out of state. Uh, I'm keeping this money. So um, that is not coordinating, coordinating uh, beneficiary designations. Um, 
Second, uh, third one on there, putting, and we talked a little bit about this just earlier, putting child's names on assets. Now, besides what we just talked about, the other risk of putting someone's name on your asset is that something could happen in that person's life um, that could jeopardize that asset. So if you put your daughter's name on your house, right? Now she's she's a part owner of that house. Or sometimes people put the daughter's name exclusively on the house. So mom will deed the whole house over to the daughter. Daughter gets divorced. That is one of her assets that are going to be come up in that divorce contest. Daughter gets in a car accident and doesn't have enough insurance. Um, we've had a case where a client's uh, daughter got in a car accident, killed a cardiothoracic surgeon that uh, sued them for like $5 million. Um, so the, the $300,000 policy she had at Allstate did not cover it. So you have to be really concerned about putting uh, other child's names on their assets. And other things could just happen in the child's life. You know, they could go through a divorce. They could go through a bankruptcy. They could get ill themselves. Um, so we really don't want to put child's names on assets. Instead, what we'd rather you do is uh, create a power of attorney that the child could have. So if and when she needs to access those accounts, uh, she'll be able to using the power of attorney or use a, a living trust, which is a document you create during your lifetime to give the daughter uh, powers uh, over those assets during your lifetime. Uh, not having comprehensive documents. Boy, this is um, this happens all the time. Uh, partially twofold. Right? One, they, you go to an attorney who doesn't deal in this area on a regular basis. Uh, or you grab a form off the internet. Okay. So oftentimes it's not what's in the form that's the problem. It's what's not in the form, right? So if you grab a power of attorney off the internet and it's um, three pages long, it's probably not going to be enough to do everything they need to do. And our power of attorney is over 20 pages long uh, and, it, and it incorporates things like uh, uh, being able to sell property, being able to deal with beneficiaries, being able to make, make IRA changes and life insurance changes and or apply for Medicaid and, and being able to transfer assets to qualify for Medicaid. So oftentimes the, the, the documents aren't comprehensive enough. And let me give you an example of one true example. So we had a uh, client, uh, well, it's probably 10 years now. So her and her sister owned a property together um, and her sister became disabled. So to the point where she was not legally competent to be able to sign documents. So before that happened, the, the, the sister, uh, who the other sister, let's call her Jane, uh, Jane had got Susie to sign a power of attorney for her so that she could take care of Susie's affairs. Well, it came time that they wanted to sell the house. And when we read the document, the power of attorney that they got off the Internet, uh, that power attorney didn't give Jane uh, the ability to sell the real estate. So there, it was lacking in a provision to allow them to sell the real estate. So the, in, the instance there was we said, well, the title company and the lender who is not going to accept that power of attorney to enable Jane to sign for Susie. 
So Jane said, so what can we do? I said, well, we can go get a, a guardianship appointed over Susie and you would have to um, you know, apply to the court to become a guardian for Susie. That's, that's fine and dandy, but I have to forewarn you that if you sell the house, half that money has to stay in the guardianship for Susie. You, you know, you don't get to take 100% of the money. Well, if we did that, unfortunately, Susie would then end up having too much money and she would lose all her governmental benefits that she was uh, using to, to care for herself. So, so that option was out. So, I, you know, I didn't want to tell her this, but, you know, maybe we're going to have to wait till Susie passes away to be able to sell that property. And, and then you could be, you know, you could sign for your half and you as executor could sign for Susie's half. So um, years later, Susie ended up dying and uh, Jane came in and says, well, we want to do this uh, probate. Thing. Well, believe it or not, whoever did the title to the document, whoever did the deed to the document, didn't point put joint and survivorship ownership on that property. So basically there's two ways to hold property when you're joint owners. So we could hold as something called tenants in common, which means if you and I own a piece of property together, if I pass away, I get to dictate who gets my half. You pass away, you get to dictate who gets your half. The other way would be joint ownership with rights of survivorship, which would mean if I die, you get my half. If you die, I get your half. Well, unfortunately, in this situation, whoever did the deed didn't make a joint ownership with rights of survivorship. So when um, Susie passed away, when they did the estates, there was other siblings. And Susie wasn't married, so and her parents had predeceased her. So the, her share of that house would be spread among all of her siblings, not not just the other sibling that owned the house. So it was a real mess. So, um, so that that comes into not having comprehensive documents, and uh, and and also the, the next one, not reviewing and updating uh, things like that. So we we had someone just yesterday or two days ago come in the office and said, uh, husband and wife own same similar thing. Husband and wife owned the uh, property together. The husband died probably six years ago. She has gotten remarried since and wants to put her new husband on the property. So when we looked at the, the deed again, whoever did the deed didn't make a joint survivorship property. So um, the wife, who's, who's um, now in a situation that she will have to probate that house to get the husband's share in her name. Sounds simple, but here's the problem. The husband uh, has children from another marriage. The new wife, let's call her Susie. Susie, um, unfortunately, because it's been so long since her husband's death, destroyed his will. And nobody can find a signed copy of the will. We we have found an unsigned copy that left everything to Susie, but we don't have a signed copy. So the issue is going to be is that when they probate that will under the laws 
of what we call dissent and distribution. So when someone dies without a will, we have a statute that determines who gets things. So what's going to happen is that Susie is not going to get that entire property because the decedent's children from another marriage are entitled to part of that property. And that's because a couple of things. Um, the deed, they didn't review the deed to see that there wasn't joint ownership with rights of survivorship. So they didn't regularly update that. And um, so it, it's really going to be a mess because um, I think the other kids are estranged. So it, it's not going to be a fun, uh, fun battle to have. Uh, in today's day and age, number four, their digital assets, logins, and passwords. Um, Oftentimes when someone passes away, the surviving spouse or children don't know how to access that account because mom or dad never told them what their login and passwords were. So you may be able to share that with your loved ones. I know, you know, I, I, what I do for myself, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I created a big Excel spreadsheet of all my uh, uh, passwords and then I password protected that uh, spreadsheet. So if, uh, if something happens to me, my wife knows the password to that spreadsheet, and then she can she can get into uh, in, into those uh, those accounts. Secondly, uh, we often see powers of attorneys that don't mention digital assets. So there is um, a uniform digital asset law now. Uh, we have it here in Ohio too. Uh, so we, in our power of attorneys, is there specific reference to allow the agent who's the power for the power of attorney to be able to access digital accounts? So we want to make. So you may want to look at updating your documents to include uh, digital assets. Yeah. Uh, often, people oftentimes people do uh, do trust to avoid probate and maybe potentially. Um, they don't want to give the money to the kids all at one time, right? Because uh, they have a sizable amount of money. Maybe the kids are too young yet and they want to spread it out over time. So usually we use trust to either spread distributions out over time or um, the, and, and also to avoid probate. So, but if you don't put the name of the assets into the trust, you know, the trust is kind of like buying a car. If you don't put any gas in it, it's not going to go anywhere. So, the trust, uh, your assets need to be what we call funded. The trust needs to be funded. So we either need to change uh, titles to assets into the name of the trust or maybe making them payable on death uh, through beneficiary designations to the trust so that your trust does have assets in it and will avoid the probate process. Uh, number two, this is probably the, well, it's the second largest one that we see uh, happen is not planning for disability. And we've talked about it on the shows. Uh, two out of three people over the age of 70, statistically, will spend some time in a nursing facility. Two out of three. That means the person to your left and your right, right? Because it's never going to happen to you. So um, it's got to be them. But all that planning we did for, through number three through 10, if you don't plan for disability, you are missing the boat. Here's the reason. Like you could spend all of your money, all of your money, and lose your house on long-term care situation. 
Long-term care situation here in, in the Cleveland area, it's approaching $10,000 a month to keep someone into a, a facility. So you can burn through money really quickly before the government will pay. Now we have, we do asset protection planning for that. And if you want to talk about that, you can, you can call our office. Um, but people are so hung up with number 10, avoiding probate, avoiding probate, avoiding probate. We want to do everything we can to avoid probate. They're missing the bigger picture. If you spend it all in a nursing home, there's nothing left to probate anyhow. Who cares? You, you, you're flat broke. I mean, they say the average stay in a nursing home is, is uh, about three, three and a half years. But, you know, that, that, that's just the average. You know, my dad was in for seven months. My aunt was in for 12 years. So it can be very expensive. If you're spending $10,000 a month, let's say you spend even $100,000 a year, which is less than $10,000, a year for 10 years, right? That's a million dollars. So um, not planning for disability. Look, the government doesn't want to pay for nursing homes, so we have mechanisms to uh, potentially enable you to qualify so the, the government will pay. Um, you know, we're always frustrated. The government wastes so much money and so, so many other things that uh, it's a shame that uh, uh, seniors are going broke uh, paying for nursing homes when they're wasting money on, on, on frivolous things and they're overspending. But, you know, that that's a whole nother whole soapbox. But the number one reason, the number one reason is procrastination. Procrastination, like why do it today if you could do it tomorrow? If tomorrow never comes. People, you know, sometimes that you get ill in an instant. You could have a stroke and all of a sudden you're 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 disabled. It does, it's not necessarily a disease that, that takes a long time to do it. And of course, people never think it's gonna happen to them. Like it, it happened to my dad. You know, we we tried to do it, get him to do estate planning for a long time. Um, and you know, I'll say to his credit, like he had eight brothers. Uh, eight brothers and sisters in total, and most of them dropped out of heart attacks early on in their life. So he never thought he had gone to a nursing home. So um, eventually he did it, but uh, it was a little too late. And we ended up spending a lot of money on a nursing home for the seven months that he was in a nursing home because he procrastinated. Had he done it one year earlier, we wouldn't have to spend that money. So procrastination, procrastination, procrastination. So um, if you uh, want to give us a call, uh, our phone number is uh, 440-886-3550. I'm not sure how we we have all these banners and stuff, but um, see if I can put this up here. Um, so Anselma Law is the website for our law firm. Um, but again, I, we're offering you to do a free review of your documents so that you can make sure that, you know, maybe you need to make a change. You haven't looked at your documents in 20 years. You know, things have changed. Kids have grown up. People you named as executors may have passed away or moved out of town. So it is it is worth a free review. We also have the ability to, um, you can go on Calendly uh, or go onto our website and you'll be able to um, log in our website and make your appointment right there. So. Uh, with that said, thanks for the uh, joining us today, um, and hopefully we can avoid these uh, these planning mistakes. They're easily to avoid. You just got to take action and do it. So, again, thanks, and uh, we'll see you next week, and hopefully we'll have some of our other uh, co-hosts with us. 
Thanks again. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Road to Retirement. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound retirement plan. For more information, please contact Chris Anselmo from Brookside Tax and Financial Group. Call 440-886-3550 or visit them online at brooksidetax.com. Advisory services are offered by Brookside Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Ohio. Insurance products and services are offered through Brookside Tax and Financial Group, LLC, an affiliated company. All matters discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation. We are not affiliated with or enforced by the Social Security Administration, the Federal Medicare Program, or any any other government agency. Calling this number will direct you to a licensed sales agent.